Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Hey, this is Jamie, CEO and founder of JEB Commerce, award-winning affiliate management agency. And I am excited to talk to you about our guest today, Lisa Riolo, co-founder of Impact, uh, one of the big networks. Before we go into introducing this episode, though, want to let you know that uh, if you are looking for the right strategy for your affiliate program right now, you're trying to navigate this ever-changing uh, ecosystem that we're operating in, we have a service for you that we call the Strategy Roadmap. Uh, so you can go to jebcommerce.com strategy and read all about the many different ways we help you develop the right strategy. We audit every single part of your program, including tech technology, which we talk about today in this episode, but we perform a gap analysis, introduce you to affiliates. We talk about the many different ways we can align your commission structure uh, with affiliate performance, consumer behavior, and to meet your goals and a bunch of different other things uh, in your program to make sure you have the right strategy going forward. You get a document, a series of videos, and time with our management team to go over every aspect of this so you have the right strategy going forward in this pretty chaotic time a challenging time and uh, to be successful in the future. Now, I had a great conversation with Lisa. It definitely goes over our normal time, but man, we just had a such, you know, just such good conversation. And we start with a co-working facility and JEB uh, put our office in storage uh, through the pandemic. We're going to be working remotely, uh, but we do have a co-working facility that, well, I get to record these podcasts and then uh, staff gets to come in and out. And we really, and and Lisa and I talk about this and our sense of community and how that is still needed here. So I think you'll love this. And if you're in affiliate marketing and you're wondering where we're going, at the end, I ask Lisa, where does she think the channel's going? She gives a wonderful answer. I totally agree with. But along the way, you know, you're going to find stuff about how to manage change, how to lead some elemental, you know, really important elements of leadership right now, and then what we should be doing as a channel going forward. And Lisa tells us exactly what the difference is between a technology platform and a network, especially it's it's really important in the affiliate channel, especially if you're deciding where to uh, house your affiliate program or where to put it. She gives a really good example and dives right into it. So I also get to thank Lisa for something she did for me that was really pivotal uh, in, in my career and in the aspect of my career that is public speaking. So something similar to this podcast. So I get an opportunity to thank her for, for that uh, pivotal moment in my career. And we also talk a lot about hers too. So without further ado, let's dive into our conversation with Lisa. 
All right, Lisa, thank you for joining me on the Profitable Performance Podcast. We are going to give it our best shot today and see if we can make it beyond five minutes. I know. So you're referencing the fact that you and I attempted this, I think it was like six weeks ago or eight weeks ago. And uh, I could not stay on the internet long enough for you to even, we didn't even get in five minutes because you could, your software that you use couldn't even get me through the test through the, because I was getting booted off so often. So it couldn't, we, we had no health checks. Yeah. We, I don't even know if we recorded anything at all. Uh, That was, you know, I don't think we did. Yeah. I don't think we did. I, I think we got to about four minutes and it kept kicking you off. Now I am recording. We closed our office and uh, I like the yep. phrase, put our office in storage. So yeah. I heard someone say that. So we did that uh, just a few weeks ago and decided to go uh, fully remote uh, through 2021 just to you know keep everyone safe and, and we're able to do our job fully remote. So I am I may be the one who has a problem today because I'm in a co-working facility. Uh, this is my second podcast I recorded in this uh, re- conference room, uh, and I'm using a couple of different bits of equipment today. So uh, hopefully it's not me. We get to get through to some actual questions and answers this time uh, instead of troubleshooting, health-checking microphones. How, how do you like uh, working out of a co-working facility? And I ask this as an owner of a or yeah. a co-owner of a co-working facility. What, what, how's that going for you? I, you know, I have to say I wasn't jazzed about it at first. Um, right. I, I think there was some stories around, you know, I really need my space. Uh, hauling all my stuff into a co-working facility is going to be annoying. I'm going to be smelling yeah. other people's foods that I know I won't like. Uh, <laughs> and, and all that so sort of true. Stuff. Like the person eating tuna or somebody who yes. goes and gets the microwavable popcorn when you really are not ready to be taking a snack time, you know? Yep. Exactly. And, you know, salmon <laughs> smells delicious when you're eating it. It's disgusting <laughs> when it's someone else, right? And tuna fish too, so like true. you said. So um, but, you know, we have we have a pretty unique uh, organization here called the Innovation Collective. Uh, and they have, they're launching them in different uh, parts of the country. And so uh, it's a building with, uh, you know, your basic co-working facility. And they actually have two buildings across the street from each other. There's a Coeur d'Alene Coffee is in there. But the organization is all about entrepreneurship and startups. So there's a bunch of startups in the facility. uh, And they do things Wednesday mornings. They have coffee and concept uh, where people gather actually right behind me on the lawn when it's nice out and talk about new projects they're working on, startups they're trying to figure out how to get off the ground. Uh, and things like that. And then I think once a month they do a fireside chat on a, uh, I think a Wednesday night too, where they bring in someone and they've had some pretty amazing speakers talk about, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, projects they're working on, leadership, things like that. They have a leadership program here. I think they call the great eight. Uh, And so there's a couple other benefits. So when I first came, you know, we decided to close the office, we went fully remote. I can't, there's certain things I can't do at home. Uh, my wife homeschools and uh, everyone has found that if I'm home while they're homeschooling, I just annoy everybody. So I had to have. <laughs> and it's not the to... reverse, right? It's not it is not the reverse. <laughs> no, no, I am. I am in everyone's uh, business and I, I don't mean to, but. No, yeah. So, 
we needed to find a facility and they had this here. We had been a member before uh, for some other perks that they have. They have a really cool, what they call the lair, uh, kind of like a speakeasy vibe down in the basement that you get to use. So we've been here for three weeks uh, and it's really been great. Um, the facilities are awesome. Uh, everyone here has been great. Uh, there's some people, uh, you know, one of my advisors is in here. I didn't, I didn't even know that. Uh, the coffee is really good. Um, and the facilities are great. So it's been, it's been fantastic. Um, the, my staff has been able to come in when they want. Uh, and although everyone is, most of my staff is social distancing and wearing masks and doing those kind of things. Um, which is not the norm here in, in Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so every once in a while we get together and that's, that's really cool because it's, it's not been, and you've experienced this too, right? It's, there's not been a lot of opportunity to be face to face in the same room with, with people. So right. um, overall, it's been a really great experience. Yeah. I would, um, you know, what I like to, to, when I talk to people a little bit about coworking, and I do think it's relevant <clears throat> for everybody because as they've gone through the, the, you know, the pandemic and the, and the, how that has affected their work, I think what you're referencing is community. Um, and that concept mm -hmm. of, it's not just the physical space, of course, that's part of it, but it's really that energy that gets created around community and a good amount of it can absolutely be, um, virtual, but virtual oftentimes ends up planned. Like you and I are on the schedule so that we have this yeah. conversation. It's not just sort of that casual. Um, I connected with someone because I bumped into them while I was having that excellent coffee, which by the way, you have to have excellent coffee in the co-working. It's just a must. True, true. <laughs> I was like, when we were building it, which now <laughs> is getting close to uh, a closer to a decade uh, later. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and one of the things was that we had to have great coffee and, you know, we knew we needed bulletproof, um, uh, Wi-Fi, uh, and then you, you really needed to facilitate that, that feeling of community. And I, and what I love about, uh, the, what gravitates a lot to, um, co-working spaces, is what you said about the startups or the entrepreneurs, certainly the advisors, um, that want to be able to connect with people. I think all of those, um, being in one area. And then you've got a lot of smaller businesses that are oftentimes well-established, but just recognize that there's that um, price point that makes sense with co-working instead of having the whole building. So uh, one, of, but, but one of the things that I always used to say to people was, you know, I've been working from home personally on and off since pretty much 2006. Um, and uh more on than off where I work mostly from, from home. And there's a couple of reasons why people seek out, I think co-working, but also just the work from home. It doesn't always, it's not always ideal. Some of it's the physical space. Some of it's what you described, which is I've got other people in this house and us being on top of each other does just doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also, and you know, I, uh, I am not married with kids, right? So I'm by myself um, and it's, you become isolated a lot of times. Yeah. And so there's that mental health aspect of just being able to go in and be in a professional environment versus being a, you know, what I call a cafe squatter, right? So there's mm -hmm. all the people that line up at the various coffee houses and that's not the most professional. If you want to have a meeting or even especially a team meeting and, um, or you want to get a power outlet and you can't, 
Um, so there's all these yeah. different reasons why it makes sense to possibly um, utilize co-working that allows that, that then you can go back and forth, right? You can go back and forth between I'm working from home and all the benefits of that. Um, or I'm always distracted when I'm at home. Cause you know, you can hear, it's not so much with zoom, but you can hear it on the call where <laughs> somebody opens the refrigerator and you can hear that <laughs> suction sound <laughs> or, and you know, you know what it is. Ice yeah, maker. Exactly. You hear the change in the acoustics, uh, you know, or somebody's doing their laundry or what, whatever it might be. And I think it's natural that we're all doing it now. Um, I heard you talking about this on one of the other episodes where, you know, people are getting used to the idea that they've got, you know, the pets or the kids are, you know, zoom yeah. bombing you or, you know, and it becomes very uh, natural. It's actually, there's some elements to it that make it really great um, yeah. and lighten up the mood sometimes. So anyway, I just, I think co-working is such an interesting sort of cross section between the full blown office environment, the work from home that allows for that transition. And I think people are eager right now. So we'll, we'll see how these, how the co-working businesses do, you know, we were maybe slightly ahead of the curve when we opened up. It's it, the company that I have, uh, that people I went to college with started, which was, it's called work zones. Um, and there's a few people in our space that have actually done this, uh, Tim storm. That was the founder oh, yeah. of that wallet. Yeah. He and his wife, um, had called me because the, the, the physical building that they had, uh, I believe in Wisconsin, but I might be mixing that up. Uh, he had, you know, he still had, he owned that building. And so they decided they were going to open up basically, uh, you know, sometimes it's an accelerator, a co-working business. And, and we yep, spent yep. quite a bit of time talking through like, here's the challenges that we faced when we opened, here's the kind of packages that work. These were the elements and you described, you know, these, the, what we used to call the programming where you have mm -hmm. these different opportunities to interact with other members, uh, the drop-in component, you know, all of that. So um, it, it's, it's a tremendously fun business. And, you know, I, I look, I think a lot of people should be examining this as an opportunity to figure out that, that happy medium between I'm not ready to go back into the work environment um, for whatever reasons, whether they're compromised or their company has, has deemed the fact that they can't, they can't accommodate, you know, whether it's social distancing or what have you. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's a, it's a fun, uh, it's a fun way to work. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned programming. I, before I really got into it here, uh, it just sounded like a, uh, uh it just had an air of a singles meetup to me and I, I just, <laughs> we stayed away from it, but Really good programming is outstanding. And I don't know, maybe that says more about me than it does about co-working. No, but. it's just, it's true. There's an element to it of that, you know, the awkwardness of, I don't really know these people. And, yeah. 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 And how to, found, how to create, I was just going to say how to create connections, right? When you don't really yeah. know people, that was part of my job, uh, being the community manager, if you will, was making those things easy so that when people showed up together that they didn't have that weird meetup feeling that you just described. Yeah. And, you know, I, I found one, I've been more productive uh, mm -hmm. here and I think it's a bit of the energy. The last uh, month uh, we had our, our, our building. Um, we, I was pretty much one, I was the only one there. 
Uh, and it, it is just as isolating as being at home, like you said. And there's an energy with, you know, people going through the coffee yep. shop and through the building. And, and you're yep. hearing um, one of the really cool things is, you know, we're in a pretty rural area. It, it is a resort town. So we, we do attract a lot of creatives, uh, a lot of development, uh, you know, developers who can, you know, work from wherever they want uh, and started making that migration a decade ago. And so to listen, to just kind of overhear other conversations and kind of be reminded, like, there's a really vibrant startup and technology and marketing culture here that sometimes we, we even get isolated within our own organization. So that's, uh, that's been a really neat thing uh, to, to kind of witness. Now, I know, or I, I have looked at, you know, co-working as sort of a extension of the gig economy or something to support the gig economy right with with the pandemic uh, right. and, and with you you being a, a co-founder of work zones have you seen that uh, your demographic change to to owners like me you know certainly um i, I you know I, it's interesting um i haven't been as uh i haven't been as um engaged partly because I'm very much quarantined, you know, et cetera. But as I've talked to some of my, uh, the, the, the other co-founders, right. That they're way more active in it. We've, we've, we've faced a whole lot of different challenges. Uh, but I do think that kind of to your point about the gig economy and that even the startup component versus business owners that are relatively well established, but have just these different sets of needs. Um, one of the things that we've started to see is that there's more willingness on the part of a business owner that has a little bit of a larger team than they used to. So what, so what we used to see in the beginning was an owner who had maybe up to about 10 people was pretty much the max before they had the oftentimes the mindset that said, I want to, uh, have my own space. I want to brand my space, uh, my space, my physical space becomes part of our culture uh, and, and just how we operate. And so there is an openness, I think, for larger size businesses to say, I've got, a, I've got membership or I've set this up in a way that my staff can come and go as needed, but we do have a physical place where we can meet or if they don't have a at-home situation that's really well, if they have an at-home situation that's lowering their productivity, this is that alternative. So you, you do see that shift, um, I think. And then I would say, I don't know if this is really answering the question the way you were thinking, but I, what I am seeing is more people are open to this notion of, I want to be around a diversity of thinking. Now, you know, when we think about over the course of the summer, there's been an elevated awareness of obviously just diversity in general. Um, and many of us are just continuing to learn and listen and understand more about, um, you know, how we can help, I think, facilitate uh, inclusion. And I think that that also extends um, in the way that people think. So you mentioned about, you know, your, your facility attracts creatives. And I just really believe that people are much more open to the idea that, hey, I'm doing, let's say I'm a marketer, or let's say I'm an engineer, a software developer, maybe I'm a, a business development or a sales professional. And there's different issues that you face about how you want to interact, but getting, a, getting that easy 
connection to someone who thinks differently so you can see the world through a different lens, including the way that they go about their work and their process. So that's something that I see more and more people um, gravitating towards, whereas before they didn't even have an awareness that that could be, uh, that could change the way they work and that it could change the way that they interface with their customers. And so um, that's, that's the shift that I've noticed. And uh, I, I, I not only welcome it, um, I just, I believe so strongly that we have to continually work to, to force that in um, to the way that we are engaging with everyone, you know, whether it's work life or, or outside of work life, you know? Yeah, definitely. There was a study, I don't know when it was done, but they basically had two groups uh, solve a problem. Uh, one of them was uh, homogenous. Every they had the same educational background, ethnicity, yep. and and pretty much the same experiences. And the other was uh, as diverse as you can, diverse in age, ethnicity, gender, uh, educational background, yep. uh, uh, job vocation, all of those things. And what they found over, and you probably already know where I'm going, but they found time and time again that the more diverse group solved problems more creatively, quicker, and more effectively. And we just, we can learn so much from, from that, you know, putting ourselves in a, a more challenging situation. I think the world has done that for us right now. So. Yeah, it's been a completely uh, crazy uh, year with uh, COVID and the, um, <laughs> uh, Hasn't it? How, how do we have an argument over whether masks are okay or not? And how that's politicized, I, I don't understand. And then, uh, you know, starting with George Floyd and, and many before that, it's been a pretty chaotic summer. How have you been navigating all of that personally, professionally? Yeah, uh, I think if I remember correctly, you and I had the first attempt at this, uh, <laughs> this episode <laughs> of your podcast. Uh, I don't believe that a lot of that, um, I guess, unrest had happened just yet. I'm almost positive it hadn't. And one of the things I had shared with you in one of our earlier conversations was that um, I really was heads down. I was taking advantage, if you will, of uh, the concept of quarantine. And I was probably taking a little bit to the extreme. And anybody who knows me be like Lisa doing something to the extreme. What? You know, of course I was. Right. And so I had my head down and I wasn't I wasn't paying very close attention. And, and part of it was on purpose because I kept finding that all the divisiveness was really um, I'm a pretty uh, empathetic type person. And it was, it was definitely getting to a place where I just wasn't, uh, I was getting so distracted that I was, I just, I didn't think it was healthy. So um, yeah. I didn't think it was serving me well. And so, you know, so I came out of that, it was a Saturday uh, and I just didn't realize the, I, I wasn't consuming news to be honest with you. And I just, I came out of Saturday morning and I was like, you know, I haven't been online for over a week and, um, and I looked at the news and I was just kind of devastated and I am old enough. Cause I think I'm about 10 years older than you. I am old enough to have gone through, uh, a lot of unrest and protesting back in the, oh my God, I'm about to say this out loud. I believe it was in the late eighties, uh, when, um, you know, uh, Reginald Denny King. and then, Reginald uh, Denny, yeah. yeah, Rodney King and, and, you know, and I was living in, I had just moved back. Uh, I grew up in the Santa Barbara area and I had just moved back from having lived in Los Angeles and I'm looking on the news and I was like, that's like a block from where I used to live. And, uh, uh, you know, that 
it was just crazy to me. And I, and I thought to myself like how, okay, first of all, how did I miss it? Um, but I have, uh, you know, I, it's been a great learning lesson for me in terms of just navigating that balancing act between how does this become a distraction? How do I, how am I a good leader? Um, I think, you know, I'm back at impact. I'm one of the co-founders yep. of impact and I had left for a while. So I get back and trying to work with my team. And, um, one of the things for me was really letting them have the time that they probably needed to process, um, and let them navigate that, the, what, what was best for them and put their, their own lives and value and, and, and the space that they needed, um, emotionally to handle what was going on versus the work situation. And that we would just navigate. And this is sort of a theme that's been going on, right? People, parents that have never had to, um, try to understand about homeschooling. I know your, your, your family, your wife homes has been homeschooling, right. For quite a while. Isn't that, do I, am I remembering yeah. that right? Um, I think outside yeah. of two years, my, my youngest, my two youngest entire education so far. So, you know, they're in eighth grade and seventh grade. Yeah, right. Exactly. And yeah. so, you know, you, your, your family's able to do that, you know, make that transition probably. But, and one of them is kick you out of the house so that you uh, yeah. don't bother them. But like <laughs> yeah. a or lot of people Wi-Fi. actually don't have that. <laughs> exactly. A lot of people don't have that ability or they just, they're just not set up. And, um, and then certainly as you're consuming, uh, news and information, that's really important to you, um, being able to just kind of deal with all of it. So, um, I personally, what, what it is, is I'm like anything, when we face conflict, I just try to learn, um, from that. Uh, I try really, I think that's probably like, I try to approach things with more a sense of curiosity. Uh, I find that when I'm not curious, I'm probably coming from a, a place of either, you know, maybe a lot of confidence to the point where I might miss things or a lot of insecurity to the point where, you know, maybe fear or, or something else is getting in the way of my listening, um, to, to something. Yeah. So I either, you know, overconfident or underconfident maybe. And, um, and so I've been trying really hard. I think a lot of us just to, to listen, to learn. Um, and it, what's great about it, Jamie, is it's, it's causing an interesting shift for me, which is, um, you know, you get to a point where you have a lot of years of experience. You and I both go back. I know. I actually think you go back farther than I do <laughs> in performance marketing. I, I was think trying by to remember like six when months. I met. Nah, I, yeah, maybe, maybe. But I know for sure that you were still there. Was still a nineteen in front of the uh, the number when you were getting going, and I'm pretty sure for there was. Me, yeah. I was. I was doing marketing, but I had a twenty in there. Uh, so yeah. But yeah. anyway, so you know, you and I. When you've been in the industry for a long time and there there comes this point where you, where there's the shift of I I know too much for my own good <laughs> uh and I think mentoring and me- or or like leadership right the leadership component has to be is great I have all this experience which is awesome but at the end of the day people have to have their own um they have to go through it whatever that is you know whatever they have to create their own experience. And, and so for me, it's become, how can I see things through the eyes of the people that I'm working with, uh, differently and new, how do I, um, pay attention so that I'm learning in this process and that I'm not only coming at it from a only, I know, like, I just, I don't want that to be, Mm -hmm. um, 
how I do things. But at the same time, not only navigating our environmental uh, uh, challenges that are in front of us, um, but also uh, professionally, how do we evolve uh, what we've been doing for all these years? So we've got now two decades for some of us uh, and, and some people it's a decade, but that's still a long time. And how do we evolve and change and move forward without losing all the great parts of our experience and our knowledge. And, and so um, it's been fun because that's actually where my professional focus is right now is, is on that next evolution of how do we facilitate change? Um, and so I think it's a lot coming at things from a place of curiosity, trying to learn from people. Um, when I mentor, I think I may have told you this before, but when I'm mentoring someone and someone comes to me and they're like, will you be my mentor? My, my a response right back is, is yes, as long as you agree to be mine. Um, and, you know, really I'm young really people are like, what, you know, what are you talking about? And yeah. I am like, listen, I go, there are so many things that I don't know how to navigate um, or that I don't understand. I remember, uh, you know, listening to when you were um, interviewing Steve Denton. And I remember Steve saying something along the way about I, he, he was talking more about how the team, how the team meetings and, and what they would be doing, but what's fun, I think it was. And he was like, I, what's fun for some guy in his fifties compared to somebody who's 26, it's just probably not the same thing. And I was like, that's exactly <laughs> right. Is that we have to learn along yeah. the way too, is, you know, what's interesting and it could be anything. It's like, what's the music that you're listening to? Like, what's your playlist? And people are like, that's such an old thing to talk about. It's like, no, it's let's listen to that music and understand what's what appeals and where where is that theme that's going through. So there's so many great things that, you know, adversity and, and ch challenges and change. And if you want to be a change agent, um, how to go about doing it. So you mentioned curiosity. And I, I think what I've seen in this in, in the whole thing in COVID and your response, whether you're right or left. Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and, and the social, uh, I don't know, you call it unrest or revolution or uh, things like that is, is the lack of empathy, the lack of curiosity and, and, and then how important that is as a leader. And, and yeah, we're, you know, we're not uh, 25 anymore. And a lot of my staff yep. is in their late 20s and early 30s uh, and being curious and leading with curiosity and empathy especially in times like this, right? right? You know, we've, you and I've been doing this for about 20 years. Um, uh, we have experienced a ton of change. Do you find that those are like the two biggest things in leading an organization that you need to continue to hold on to? I do. And, and well, that's, th there's that. And I think something that's more unique about the way I approach things and I'll, I'll share that with you as well. But I think curiosity, especially, I mean, this is just, it's applicable to so many things. I saw you did a post on social media at one point and you were very much coming from a place of genuine curiosity. And one of the ways I can tell that that is the case is that when somebody is, is asking more questions than making statements a lot of the time, then they really are coming from a place of curiosity. Um, and that's what you were doing. And you were really, I think, genuinely trying to, you were seeking to understand. Um, and so I think that's super important Thank because we, ha we have to be open to this idea that, again, this diversity of thinking and viewpoint. And then what we can do is find the overlap 
where, uh, you know, there, where we share values or we can, that's how we can find, uh, that's how we can have a conversation, right. Is to find, um, that overlap. And, and the thread for me right now is, is that that's true in life. And then it's true when I'm thinking about work. And so for me, it's a lot about the philosophy of partnering. Right. And so, um, I am really focused on what makes for a great partnership. What is that mindset? Um, when, when, whether it's two companies that are coming together or two individuals that are coming together, you know, within your, even a a family unit, um, I am decidedly different than everyone in my immediate family that I grew up with, um, in terms of my viewpoint, but I try really hard, um, to find where, you know, let's say I was talking to my dad the other day and he was talking about, let's say team red and, you know, in his mind, he, I'm as blue as you can come. And I'm like, I'm really not that blue dad, you know, like I'm actually pretty purple, right? Like just because of how I was raised. Um, and it's more an appreciation of understanding where you, where people could come from, et, et cetera. Um, and at the same exact time, uh, looking at people that are, that are like, you are not, you know, for example, it's not even the political part, but it's the, you're not progressive enough in your thinking and me trying to learn and go, okay, what is it about how I'm coming at this that's different? And so where that overlap occurs is, is how we actually get things done. I think the problem solving example you gave um, for people is really a great point of, if you have a diversity of thinking, you'll actually get to a solution uh, because what you have to do is compromise along the way. And innovation comes out of that forced com- you know, com- compromise. The, people talk about outside the box thinking in my experience, when I start thinking outside the box, um, it's a huge amount of resistance to change, right. To the point where people are like, what are you talking about, Lisa? And, um, I got some really good advice from, uh, one of my, uh, peers at, at impact. Um, and she was like, Lisa, you gotta, I, she was taught by somebody, but you gotta, instead of like trying to get people to see, your way of thinking outside the box. They're like, no, I'm in the box and I get it. She's like, you got to make the box bigger. And I was like, God, that's such a great way of, of, of approaching it is, is that instead of trying to, you know, leapfrog situations, it's how do we expand what we're doing on the, with the common ground. And so I think that's important for things like partnering together. Um, and then, you know, you, what, what else I think is really important in terms of leading and, Hopefully, I don't know if, you know, you've talked to people about this or not, but one of the things people ask me a lot of times is like, well, what do you do? And I don't answer that question probably the way they're expecting. I say, I'm really passionate about transforming potential into performance or realizing potential. You know, sometimes it depends on who I'm talking to, how I answer that. And for me, that's probably the other big thing about leader leading in, in, in times of, of challenge or difficulty um, or a lot of change, you know, I've over the years, I've gone through a lot of, let's say, mergers or, uh, you know, different mm-hmm. acquisition, new ownership, whatever you want to call it. And um, uh, honestly, like every few years, I felt like I was going through something like that. And you have to find the opportunity in, in the difficulty, like it's that pessimist versus the optimist. And so for me, it's finding the potential and then locking into that and focusing in on it and trying to really realize it. And, and I think that's how I approach people too. You know, I, I like to, and I think you do too, Jamie, I think you, 
are very much like me about, hey, I've heard you say like, I see the good in people, right? Or I see, you know, the best in people. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you see the potential. Um, and my goal as a leader is for people to see it in themselves and believe in it themselves. Um, and sometimes we're, you know, believing in them more than they're believing in themselves. And when I start to encounter that, I start looking at, okay, what is it about that? Maybe they're not doing the thing that they're most passionate about, or maybe they're not in the exact right role. Um, and you see that all the time where you start to shift the way people work and they, and they really, um, they start performing really well. And I, so I look at that and I go, yeah, like potential is something that uh, I think is a guiding principle right there with curiosity. So. I love that. And yeah, we do share that. One of, one of my best uh, moments in, in the work that I do uh, is when someone that I see potential in, um, you know, is struggling is struggling and then, kind of gets through, you know, breaks through that barrier and starts to do amazing things without, you know, pushing and prodding. And, and that happened in one of my companies uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I was in a development meeting. I said, well, what's the big obstacle you need help with? What, what are we going to tackle now? Uh, and this employee, she looked at me and she goes, nothing. I already took care of it. I'm like, well, tell me more about that. And so she began to tell me all these, um, you know, what she what she was doing, what was making her upset, what was inefficient, and how she could see that that was a limiting belief that she had. And she changed that, and and you know, is changing yeah. that uh, our organization there. And it was it was just awesome to see that what what is um, when you're working with you know an employee, a staff member. And you're, you're trying to turn that potential into performance. Like, what do you use to, uh, what have you found effective? Is it, is it just completely uh, uh, one-off to each person? Is there, uh, uh, are there tools that you use? Like, how do you, how do you, what's been effective for you to help them see that the potential you see in them? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's probably a lot of different little things that, you know, um, I think, like I, I, that's a good question. <laughs> it's like, what do I do? Uh, one, one is yeah. uh, you know, the, kind of the Myers-Briggs uh, sort of personality uh -huh. thing. And I, I'm aware of other, other ones. A lot of people use different um, assessments, but I do think that there's an important component to that in terms of helping read people. Um, probably a great example is um, I had a, a, I had someone who was our controller back when I was at uh, in the first round at CJ or in those very early days. And she and I stayed pretty good friends outside of uh, working together. And, and I, I used to, and then we worked together at the, when we founded impact and um, again, and, and I was like, why are you still a controller? You know? And, and she was, it was decidedly mm. the role that she wanted. I was like, you could totally be a VP of finance. You, you do a lot of consulting work. You could, you know, I don't understand why you, you don't do more. And then another thing was like, she would have all these great insights that she would talk to me about, but we would be in a meeting where I would look at her like, you need to say this, right? You know, like we just talked about this, you need to bring this up or what she wouldn't do it. And, um, and then a few more years later, and I was kind of on her about that. Again, I thought I saw this potential. And then she contacted me one day and said, 
oh my God, have you seen that Ted talk about being an introvert? I think the woman's name is, I, I don't want to mis, misquote this, but Susan, uh, you know what, Jamie, we'll come back to it. Um, I'll figure out the link. Okay. But so in any case, uh, she told me about this Ted talk and it was, and it was, um, Lisa, I'm, um, this is me. This is me. And I finally understand me. And then she bought the book and she's reading the book. She's like, you need to read this book as a leader. <laughs> and what it really was, was that introverts need time to be able to prepare. So, um, oh my God, it's so funny because she was like, this is me and you need to read this book so that you can be a better leader. And you need to understand that we need to prepare. Introverts really need to prepare uh, and that uh, what they want to say, they're not going to, they're not going to be in a meeting and just pop up. And, and it was so like, it changed things for me quite substantially in terms of just understanding the difference between an introvert and an extrovert. Um, another example like that, which actually came even earlier, but it was a different one was the difference between judges and perceivers again in the Myers-Briggs, you know, and, and people trying to understand what they are, but um, I was at a meeting, the company was a, a complete virtual company. And once a month we all flew in and had, uh, or some of us drove in and had a meeting near the, near LAX airport. Um, and we had like a two day meeting where we were all in the room and basically a, a big argument that took up <laughs> like a morning section was between judges and perceivers about um, honoring scheduling and timing and, you know, really understanding that like a perceiver doesn't want to get trapped into a, into a corner and doesn't want to have to commit uh, because they feel trapped literally. So they don't, they don't honor time in the same way that a judger does where, you know, they're like, Hey, I'm prompt, I'm on time. And the judges and the perceivers were just arguing. And the, the, you know, the, one of the main guys, the CFO was like the judges, or have to always have to put up and compromise our way of doing it because the perceivers never bother to show up. And it was just this huge fight. But I was like, oh my gosh, look at what a difference um, these little parts of the personality and how people work together. And so as I've learned a lot of those types of things, um, people who are intuitive versus the people who are, I gotta, I gotta feel it and touch it and and you know, see it to believe it. And people like me, where I'm like, if you believe it, you're gonna see it. And I'm like, a, I'm like a huge, you know, I'm off the chart on that one part of the personality. And so learning those kinds of things about how how people are and how they tick allows you to really kind of grok with them sometimes. So it's even though it's very personal for that individual, you're starting to figure out is like they're either uncomfortable, they're in a situation where you know, it's for them. They need to see data to be persuaded. It doesn't matter how, how much you, uh, how great you are at, at convincing them and you might be likable and all that, but at the end of the day, they're not going to make a decision unless they can actually see it, uh, the data itself in black and white. And so for me, it became, um, understanding how somebody's kind of interacting with the rest of the world and then looking at group dynamics and how that person might be interacting in the group. Um, and then, how are they partnering or how are they collaborating or working uh, within that larger community that they're engaged with? And, and so sometimes that's the customer base, right? And you got these people who mm -hmm. are like, I can't, I don't enjoy, like so many people, I'm like, I don't, I don't wanna sell, I'm not gonna sell. 
you know, I don't, I'm like, we're all in a, in a way, you know, we're all selling, but you have to look at it. And this is my piece of advice to anybody who goes, I don't want to sell, but in a weird way, they're in a role where they're kind of selling or retaining or interfacing with customers. And I'll say, look, all sales is, is helping people make a well-informed decision that's right for them. It's not about your agenda. It's about their agenda. And you're just giving them information so they can make a good decision. And that's something that like when I worked at Pete's Coffee all those years ago, it was like I had to talk to people about our culture was not about, you know, at Pete's was not about selling things. It was about educating people. And then they would make their choices about what they wanted. And if they, if it wasn't a good choice for them, nobody was sitting there going like, well, no, you got to buy this, you know, you got to buy this drink. You got to buy this, uh, you know, grinder. You got to buy this, this, uh, these coffee beans. Um, it was just educating them. And I, I feel that's the same yeah. today. If somebody's buying technology or the services, and I, I, I think that's the way, you know, Jimmy, I was thinking about like your, your strategy, your strategy service, right? And you're really just educating people along the way um, and you're helping them make a, a decision or decisions that are right for them. And I really, it's like, you're not out there going, hey, you gotta do this. It's more of a like, here, I can educate you about it. And if that works out and it's an effective fit, we might work together more. Um, because there's value there. Right. And so uh, yeah. I think, you know, it's an education process. It's a being helpful and, and valuable and not having your own personal agenda. You got to be really good. I think when you're helping other people um, to not to not be putting your own agenda first. And when that starts to happen, you know, you're you're probably not doing a good job as it relates to the other person. So um, having your own uh you know, having your own stuff together in terms of, uh, is this something that's right for me to be doing what I'm passionate about for me? Is this, is this, is this helping me? That's awesome. And, and it sounds like, uh, your controller gave a really good example of what you mean by I'll mentor you. If you mentor me, like, totally. you have to read this book. Uh, <laughs> I had something similar, kinda, uh, yeah. one of, uh, uh, one of my, uh, uh, right hands here for a really long time, John Goodwin, before sales pitches, uh, 15 minutes before would bring me a Snickers. Yeah. And I was like, why are you always bringing me candy? He goes, man, if you're hungry, you're really bad at this. Yeah. So I want you to have a full <laughs> belly before. We it's totally call. true. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They reflect yep. you, they reflect back and they feel safe that they can actually give you that, you know, kind of feedback. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, you have to have a certain amount of, um, you know, I said before about like being overconfident versus, you know, as a leader, like sometimes you get overconfident and, and sometimes you're not and you're insecure, but when you're, you know, it's when you're not at your best, what, what does that look like? And being able to have the people around you feel safe to tell you, Hey, like you're not at your best. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard. You got to pull it out of people sometimes, but, uh, cause they're like, Oh gosh, yep. you're the boss or what? And I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's like, I'm not great at certain things and you got to have self-awareness. It's like, yeah, I'm not good at that. Or, uh, I'm not yep. the best person to do those things. Um, but I'm really good at this. I'm not good at that. You know, that type of approach. So, yeah. And you, you said self-awareness. One of the things that I've learned now running two businesses is that leadership is a crucible of self-awareness yeah and, and and it's just this you know it's you learn so much more about yourself uh and and yep. how you lead and why you lead that way 
uh, that, uh, you know, it's just sometimes it feels like you're on fire. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about, uh, you know, your current role, what Impact is doing and and just the affiliate marketing in general. But I do, I get to thank you for something you did for me that you probably don't even remember years and years ago that uh, it just was awesome. I don't know if you remember this. And this may be when, uh, uh, I don't think it's when we first met, but I think it was close to that period of time. Mm-hmm. I have had... A, a huge level of anxiety for public speaking. Like, I think it's like the second biggest fear for people uh-huh. <laughs> in their lives, like drowning, public speaking, uh, fire. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, I spoke, I think, at uh, LeadCon or something like that. And you made sure to go out of your way and let me know how, how well I performed as a presenter and uh, the answers. And it was... It was a huge part and point in my career uh, in order to see that I could do that. And it, I just wanted to thank you for that. Oh. You you really went out of your way to make sure I, I felt that I did a good job and I had that. That was a skill set that maybe I thought I didn't have. And I, I, I want to thank you for that. It was a big moment for me and it helped me uh, to even do stuff like this now recording a podcast with some of the, the most amazing people uh, in, in our industry. Uh, so, yeah, thank you. Well, you're welcome. That's uh, I do remember a couple of our different, you know, interactions, and I do remember you, you know, t- the anxiety. Um, and uh, I, yeah. I, uh, I understand that, too. I mean, I think if, if, I'm, if I am remembering correctly, like I, I, too, I too had some of that and people would always be like, oh my God, there's no way you just get up there. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like I used right. to be, uh, not to be gross, but like I'd be dry heaving in the bathroom, you know, what before any yeah. time that I had to speak. And um, so, yeah, it's a, uh, yeah. And it's, it's a big deal because of how much we grow right? Like, so it's growth through adversity or growth through challenge. And what do we learn from those things? But it's also that those are the confidence builders as we do those steps. If it's, if it's important, whether it's overcoming a fear or like, I really want to do these things. Um, and I really want to contribute, like in your case, you know, you want to contribute to the industry as a whole. You're not just coming at this from a, Hey, I, you know, I just want to be a celebrity, right? And and I think even yeah. in in our little uh, uh, even in our little industry, right? So it's it's really um, it's my pleasure, and I'm really glad that you said that. And uh, um, you know, I feel like I I get a I do get a lot of joy in seeing other people, uh, you know, continue to grow and evolve. And um, I tell people sometimes, you know, it's like, hey. I would go, you know, I would work for you, meaning, and and there's a lot of people over the years where that's kind of that measure of, I see so much potential in them that is like, as they go on and go above where I am at, maybe uh, in different ways, like even within a corporate situation. Um, And, you know, it's funny at Impact, uh, I wasn't going to come back. So I left and uh, you know, I was doing a lot of different things. They were fun. I'm very entrepreneurial in the way that I like to think about, you know, things and work. And, um, I was talking to Adam Weiss about, uh, at one point about, you know, I think in lead gen and considered purchase, 
that we could really, there, there's an evolution here. There's a bridge between the two sides being able to come together. And I, I see it so clearly. I think we could, we could do something here. And he was like, Lisa, if you could solve that problem after all these years, you know, like 20 years later, it's still kind of the same setup. He said, that would be amazing. Right. And so, um, you know, I ended up, I was at a good place and all of a sudden, you know, I had this meeting with Mike head who, um, at that point was kind of the general manager at impact and Mike, you know, we hired Mike and, uh, Mike reported to, to say Todd Crawford, I think it was. And I was kind of a general manager or whatever. And Todd was trying to teach Mike along the way. And Mike just kept going at a pace that was a lot faster than probably where, uh, certainly where his compared to his experience, right. There's this, that ambition that you see, um, and so, uh, Mike, one day, one night in our, our first couple of years, you know, probably our first year that we were in business, he, he, I said, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> Where do you want to go? What do you want to do in your career? And he's like, I want your job. And I remember at the moment I was like, you can have it. Like, dude, like if you want my job, you can have it. And then, I'll, you know, fast forward like seven or eight years and he and I were at like a, a cocktail hour or something like that. And. And I was like, I was like, oh, I heard you got promoted. So he got my old job and obviously the organization was much bigger and farther along. And um, so he and I went to lunch or something and he said, hey, would you be interested in coming back to Impact? And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm like, and I, I genuinely was, I'm having fun. I do a lot of consulting work, which is means I get to do projects and means I get to work with a lot of different people. Um, and he, you know, we just kind of went back and forth and he wasn't really going to take no for an answer and wanted me to rethink about it because he's like, we're really at a point where we recognize that, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're very focused on partnerships and new kinds of partnerships. He's all, but we're struggling a little bit with, we're, we're, we're good at bringing on the brands and the, you know, especially the bigger enterprise type companies. There's a lot of wins that, um, impact it had over the last cut that, that couple of years. And so, uh, so he's, I was like, all right, tell you what, I'm like, you can bring me on as a, a consultant. And so literally I started working on it and got the, Hey Lisa, um, or, you know, in my own head, I was like, this is definitely a full time, full on full time role that they need. And so I'm signing up essentially to go now work for now. My boss is going to be somebody I was mentoring. Right. And so it, it really did yeah. come full circle and I'm good with it. Like one, there are certain aspects of the role that he has that I don't necessarily, I don't thrive in and I'm not interested in. Um, and I really wanted to focus in on again, facilitating change and really moving impact into a, the next place. So my role, even though I'm a co-founder of the business and I was there in the beginning, I'm also now the VP of strategic partnerships. Um, and I'm really focused on partnerships. You know, the S H I P part is it's a relationship between two different companies and how the customers are going to work together or how the, co how companies are going to work with impact and, and try to get impact to a place where that shift that I think is necessary to really facilitate that. What does that look like? Um, and so that's my focus. I've spent the last probably six to eight to nine months, whatever it's been, um, uh, really working on a partnership framework, working on the methodology that we're going to use for 
um, helping customers partner together, uh, and then also remain very respectful to the fact that this is in, in fact a technology platform. We don't exact, we're not exactly a network and I can explain why that would be um, and what those challenges are when you're not a network, right? There's some inconsistency with how everybody interacts or the flexibility that the technology provides um, can make, make it really challenging in terms of uh, consistency and complexity and um, and what that means is, is sometimes people don't know what to expect and a big driver of satisfaction is, is meeting expectations. And so uh, Impact has some, I think, uh, we have work that we are doing to um, take what's really great about the technology and then now figure out different ways to partner, whether it's with our customers, whether it's with agencies like yours, um, whether it's with the the, you know, let's call it whatever they could be called, like, right, affiliate, media partner, publisher, <laughs> influencer, like there's so many different names yeah. to companies that are essentially also brands, right? And how, how do we help them grow their business? So um, that's been my world during this, uh, you know, really leading up to and then into the this pandemic. Uh, and so now, again, not only work differently, <laughs> in terms of the physical environment that you're in, but also and the virtual part of our community, but also uh, change the way that we are thinking about the relationships, right? And still applying the technology in a way that really takes advantage of some of the value proposition that Impact offers, so. That's awesome. You know, one thing you touched on, can we dive into a little bit more? I know when Impact was being created and Todd pulled me aside and said, this is kind of what we're doing. Since then, anytime I referred to Impact as a network, um, you know, I had my hand slapped. So I know what the difference is, but maybe our <laughs> listeners don't. Talk to me. He never yeah. actually slapped me, but I think there were a few times he no, wanted to. But uh, yeah, tell me the difference. And, and for our listeners who don't know, share share the the what's the difference between technology platform and, and your traditional network? Yeah, I, I, I'd be happy to. Um, so, you know, you think back, if you go way, way back in time uh, for, for people, like there were a couple of companies, uh, I think, you know, what was Rakuten was, was the company Linkshare. Uh, what was Conversant, which now owns, or, you know, Epsilon, I think it was, no, not anymore. So yeah, Conversant owned um, both, uh, CJ and a company called Be Free. Uh, there was a company yep. way back, okay, way back. It was called Dynamic Trade that became uh, Performix. But Be Free was basically software. This goes so far back that it was, you know, software that was loaded onto the desktop tower that was under people's desks and you did installations yep. and things along those lines. <laughs> and then there was, I remember um, that. Yep. And, and, uh, uh, Linkshare was more of a network model um, at the time, but there was still, it, it was a, what I would refer to now a days as a, an advertiser or a brand or a merchant sponsored ecosystem. So everything was built around the brands and that what was interesting was originally CJ Lex's vision, Lex Sisney was the founder or the co-founder along with pair Pedersen who pair is mm -hmm. uh you know, was, is now that he was like 23 at the time, but he brought the technology to the equation, but it was Lex's vision. And one of the things was, was as an affiliate, it is really difficult to work with these companies 
because I have to go in and join each one individually and they all have different terms and conditions and rules about how they're going to pay. And, um, and so he wanted to make it easier for the affiliate. So the actual network originally, um, CJ's network was built around uh, making it easier for an affiliate to do business. And, and it was reflected in things like the consistency where the network made decisions about when are you going to pay out? Um, when, you know, it's, there was more of a payday type thing and, uh, you know, making sure that all of the technology implementation was all the same and that certain parts of the terms and conditions, like at that point, you know, cookies are all working in the same way. And the, the network made a lot of the rules, um, and certainly thought about it from the affiliate point of view. And so you fast forward, um, and when, uh, it's, it's, there's five co-founders of, of impact, but we all met and worked together at CJ. Um, it was pair and Roger and they were the tech piece and then Todd Crawford, which a lot of people know. And then, uh, you know, less people know me and less people know Wade Crane, um, in terms of like the business side of it. And so, and, and Wade's very much like the operational piece and the, and the data and, and the measurement system and how that all works. Um, and I was more about the, you know, client facing. And at that point, Todd was more the sales person. We thought about how do we build impact uh, in a way that we improve upon, especially the technology and the workflow automation that we really improve upon the tech in a way that any brand that wants to work or advertiser that wants to work on the platform, they have the ability to do so in a, um, in a way that made sense for them. And I would argue probably, in my opinion, this is my own opinion, is that we let that pendulum swing way too far, not only at impact, but you know the industry as a whole. Um, and that we only often, well, not only, but very rarely do people view, uh, especially the technology platforms or the technology solutions, uh, the lens is still very much through the brand's point of view as opposed to, um, really the, the whatever publisher affiliate, like I said, there's about 10 names that we could call it. Um, and so really from the quote unquote partner's point of view. And, and so I just believe, and I really do that we need to have a balanced ecosystem. So a platform really should be an ecosystem that allows for everybody um, who's working there to be able to partner with other companies and have that measurement system in place because um, if you really look at the philosophy of a, of a partner, I'm sorry, a partnership, uh, if you really look at it, there's all these values that need to be, um, that need to be present in order for that partnership to work. And so I think that the technology has all this functionality, um, but it's really just, if you can think of the, uh, if you can think of it as it can be configured in a way that meets the needs of that customer and then facilitates a partnership and it's all there, um, but it's just how you go about working together. And so my goal has been to pull that more to a more balanced uh, ecosystem. So when you think about even affinity partnerships where two companies come together and um, they're both big brands and they're not traditionally what you would call an affiliate, um, how they might work together. Or we've seen quite a few companies that never participated in the performance space and being able to kind of come in and be an equal. So, you know, you think about a CNN or uh, you think about um, even a Buzzfeed or you think about a PayPal, 
these guys are, you know, brands in their own right. These companies are brands in their own right. They have, uh, they're, they're, they should be viewed as equal. There should be some equitable uh, approach that, that both companies have. And so uh, I think a lot of times what you start to see is that most of the networks have still continued to gravitate. And, and maybe a lot of the agencies too is like the paying customer is the demand side of uh, in a partnership, right? And so um, I'm just, you know, hoping to like bring the, that balance back and have the technology applied to everybody, whatever their need may be. Um, and you can do that with a, with a platform because it's just the customer can configure things the way they need to. Um, and they can set up the relationship and the terms and the conditions and the, and the way the data goes back and forth between the two companies working together in the partnership it shouldn't be the network that makes that decision. Um, and then the advisors of the company, which could be the agencies, um, it could be a consultant that can come in and say, okay, what are you trying to accomplish from a strategy perspective? Uh, and they can provide that advice and then you apply the technology to it. Um, and I think in a network environment, a lot of the time that they combine the service and the technology and they start to say, we know best and we're going to tell you what to do and we're going to provide all those services directly. Um, and it may or may not be in the best interest of uh, the two companies and how they're working together. It may, it may not be. Um, I, I often talk about like, you know, look, the, the networks are they make money every time that the publisher makes money, right? They don't make money if the publisher's not making money, but what are they really contributing from the publisher's point of view? And so, you know, really in that value proposition, they're taking a pretty healthy part of the margin, um, even when they're dropping their price. And it's like, are their interests really in the, are, are they really aligned? The service provider portion of the network or the network itself, is it really aligned with the, the customer and the company and what they're trying to accomplish? So, you know, uh, it's been it's been interesting because I've had to, you know, sort of sell against models that we've created over the years and then come back in and say, mm -hmm. OK, how do we change these or evolve these so that we can still serve and provide great value and not just from, a, you know, the point of view of uh, we're going to help you like for brands, you know, we're going to help you spend less money and not pay your partners and, you know, cut everybody out of the equation. Uh, so that only your interests are being met when you're talking about growth through partnerships, right? So we want you to, we want you to think about who are the other companies that are involved in this uh, ecosystem and make sure that we're providing value for everybody. That is a really clear explanation of, of the difference. And, and what I liked most of all there and what I heard was everyone on an equal footing. And, yeah. and yeah, definitely in, back in the day and, and, you know, it was the, the advertiser and the network drove uh, the terms and how this relationship was going and everyone on an equal footing. Uh, I really like to hear that. And it also kind of jives with, I think what, what I've seen recently and what my staff has seen, it's, it's almost like the, the rise of the affiliates know their power now. Right. Um, you said earlier, like their brands too. Yeah. And, you know, some of them have been around for as long as you and I have, and right. they've created a brand and now they're, they, they want to be able to, and are flexing their muscle. One thing we've seen is uh, a tremendous rise in uh, inclusion and setup fees to work with partners. And, and as my yeah. staff is uh, trying to navigate that with clients, 
uh, you know, it's really about, you know, the audience. They've built an audience. That's right. And you're going to have, you need to pay to, to access that. That's right. You got it exactly right. That's, that's exactly right. And if we think about, especially performance marketing, and you take it off, whether it's off platform or off network, it's like, how does that relationship really work? When I talk to the partner side, which is a big part of what I do now, um, certainly is, is what do you do like in a strategic relationship? What do you do? It's they go negotiate all of that before they actually come together with the technology, right? They don't even find each other a lot of that time, but the sponsoring partner is just as often the, the publisher or, you know, the content site or the influencer, they're sponsoring the partnership just as often. And people go, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, well, who's really drafting the terms and conditions and inviting the other one into a relationship? Um, and you know, sometimes it might be that they're selling a package, but really if they're going to take the idea of we're going to collaborate together and work together, um, for a shared outcome, what happens is that that generally occurs offline and there is that equitable kind of, or just balance of power. And so, uh, when you have, when Mm -hmm. the publishers are forced to work in sometimes a network environment. Um, the balance of power has definitely shifted in a way that is not favorable for them. Uh, and so I'm like, Hey guys, like you don't even have to, like, you don't have to measure the value or contribution that you're making in real time, just because that's the way the tracking used to work 20 years ago. That's not necessarily, um, the overall value of, of the relationship, you might look at it over a broader period of time. And just because we could split commissions and, you know, knock people out of the equation or what, like, let's stop doing it that way. And how about we just look at all the data and then over a period of time say, Hey, you know what, this will write price, how much we pay based on the value of the contribution that's being made. Or on the other side of it is, is what are the KPI that really matter? Uh, to both parties and make sure that both parties' expectations are being met. And so I think a lot of it has to do with what happens before the connection is actually made. And I think organic connections are awesome, but I also think sometimes the guided connections, and that's, that's really where the agency, you know, if I'm a brand, why do I want to work with an agency? It's that expertise, but also that ability to bridge and broker those conversations so that the you know, the publisher interests are being met and so that they're actually working together. It's not transactional. And I think so often when you look back over how affiliate marketing has, you know, come to be, it's very, tra- a lot of times it's very transactional uh, in the viewpoint, at least from, you know, many times the brand and people will have been saying for years, oh, it's all about the relationships. That is true, but it's also about the economics it's also about you know the data itself and measuring how things are working and being able to come at it with all of those things in mind to say hey you know what this is really what makes sense um, and it's transparency in the you know I know that word gets thrown or, thrown around a lot but transparency in the um, in the communication transparency in the data itself it's like here's the here's the metrics I'm really measuring and you're not making it, you know, you're not, you're not hitting those metrics in this partnership and then allowing time to see whether or not you can respond to that information and make, make the adjustments so that both parties are getting out of it what they need. So, um, 
yeah, it's, it's been really fun. You know, I have had to look at uh, the business from a lot of different angles and also have to take a lot of um, <laughs> uh, constructive feedback might be the way to put it, but, you know, really letting people know, you know, let, letting them vent about, Hey, this is not, you, you know, impact. Maybe um, they love certain aspects of the, the technology and maybe the reporting, but they're like, Hey, in this other area, maybe you're kind of falling short of my expectation. Um, and some people say that more diplomatically than others. Uh, when you've had a relationship with people for a really long time, then they know you, they're like, Hey, I'm going to let you really have it. And it's been good, you know, cause it's like, okay, we're here to listen and we're trying to put the right people and invest in the right way. Um, and not lose sight of all of the enthusiasm that people have had about why they, why they came to either buy impact or are working with, um, a company that happens to have their tracking on, on impact. So yeah, it's been, it's been really great. And, um, it's been fun. It's been fun to reconnect with a lot of different people or companies that uh, I'd worked with way back in the day. I, and to your point, some of them have been around uh, longer uh, and seeing that transition where it's like, I, you know, you and I and others, you know, people on your team, I know, uh, certainly competitors of yours, like some of us probably have more knowledge of the history of some of these companies than the people that work there. You know, I forget when it was, but uh, you know, just talking about uh, Pepper Jam, right? And you were like, I, you know, it's, they were a uh, search, they were affiliate, but also like, well, really they were a yeah. jam, you know, they were a Pepper Jam, but yeah. they were a, a, you know, they were a search company and then they were affiliate. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, they kept transitioning where they were kind of like a service provider in the mix. And then the next thing you know, they pop up and they have a, a technology and a network, um, which is now, you know, got, got bought by another, you know, by a platform. Right. And so, uh, but, but yeah. because of the services component that they have, um, in, within that group, and there was, you know, agencies that got bought along the way that provide that. And so you laugh, cause you're like, I could weave that whole thing back. If I, you know, I really took the time to plot it back out. And, um, but why that's helpful is, is to understand where the different value proposition, what was missing, what did they do to grow their business to the point where they looked attractive to another company? It's been quite a trip, right? Yeah. One of my uh, podcast guests uh, recommended and said, look, we need to get some of the people who've been in this industry for 20 years on a roundtable podcast and just share stories yeah. uh, of the last 20 years and document some of the crazy stuff that happened back then. Right. Now, my last question, we're, we're way over time. Yeah. Where do you think the channel is going now? You know, we've had, uh, you know, kind of a, a migration in, in ways we haven't seen before where e-commerce has really taken off. We have the pandemic going on. There's so much things changing. Where do you see the channel uh, in the next uh, year, 10 years, where's it going? Yeah. Um, well, I think as you know, you've heard me say that this concept of <clears throat> balancing, um, the, the power, if you will, um, in the part within the partnership that what that requires, I think is having an understanding and a value of where, or, you know, understanding of where I think I've talked about this already, but the value um, where, where you overlap. Right. And so here's the theme I'm hearing and seeing it's one I'm personally really passionate about. So it might be a little bit of confirmational bias, but 
the cut the consumer when i say the customer right now i'm talking about the consumer it's the consumer experience is really where i think everyone has to head uh in terms of how you market in terms of how the touch points um and and really putting the consumer or the customer first so i think customer experience it's been been there for a while you think about things like the buyer journey or the consumers uh, the customer journey, and you think about all those different touch points where a customer gets engaged as they're trying to make a decision about whether or not they want to buy something or whether or not they want to participate in something. And I think where, you know, we talked a little bit about the audience that over the overlap, right? And so um, there has to be a good brand fit. There has to be that. What, what's that common thing? It's the, it's the consumer, it's the customer. So the customer experience is where this is headed now. Are you adding value um, directly to the customer as they're engaged with your company or website? And then as you transition or help transition that consumer to the next point in their journey, is there a, enough consistency and do you share enough of the same values of where they're going or where they're headed so that you could potentially build that partnership? Um, and I think that like, for example, when people think about the content sites and they say, you know, Hey, I really want to, you know, I don't want to work with loyalty or coupon. I only want to work with, this is the brand, right? Uh, it, I only want to work with the, the content sites. It's like, well, what do you do with that? Right. And I just try to get to the point of like, you know, I think the reason that you're, you know, I try to ask questions to learn, but it's like, you want to make sure that the consumer, when they get to you that they've demonstrated an intent to buy or that they've demonstrated an engagement that makes sense for them to now be with you. And you don't, you know, the idea that you think about an emailer and you're like, yeah, I don't want anything to do with spam. Well, yeah, because it's a terrible customer experience or consumer experience. But in fact, an email is absolutely an amazing place to be able to put a lot of great content as long as it makes sense for the consumer. And so I see this whole yeah. industry moving in the direction of as you continue to partner together and you collaborate about that, the common ground is the consumer's experience. And I truly believe that if you put the consumer or the customer first, as, as always your reason for engaging them, then the concept of the partnership is you can have a shared outcome that makes sense and clearly your values are aligned. And, and, you know, it's not, it's, Will technology facilitate that? Absolutely. Um, but it's a great example of, you know, people talk a lot about predictive, like using AI and machine learning and, you know, trying to predict what's going to, what the consumer wants. Well, how about let's just ask them what their preference is. Uh, why, how about we just make sure that we're helping them get the information they need if they want to buy something, right? Don't just try to push it in front of them. Now, if I'm a brand or a merchant that's trying to sell something and the person comes to my site from a company that I partnered with in terms of the referral, did I help them? Did, was the touch point where, that we in, where they were engaged, is it adding value to the journey in such a way that we can now fulfill? I mean, also post-transaction, you should be partnering with companies to make sure that post-conversion, if you want to call it that, um, or post action that's been taken. Uh, are you taking additional steps in that journey to make sure that the consumer's experience is really top notch? And you might partner with other companies along the way um, that help you do that. So like I like to talk a lot about in socially responsible 
you know, shopping, uh, there are sites, examples of like the charity sites where they're enhancing the conversion because the presence of, I can now make a, a you know, as a consumer, I can now make a donation uh, to a site, um, to the charity of my choice. Wow, that's like a very powerful thing. And so in a way, they may not be the, the chair, the, the site might be technology and not even the source of the traffic, but you could partner with them to make sure that the consumer converts. And do you want to compensate them for being part of that journey and, and, and engaging and partnering with them? So I think as you look at all the technology that's popping up and solving for problems, you could really think about is this some way in some, some way, shape or form uh, in enhancing how the, the, the our shared customer uh, really can go through their journey. So that's my prediction. We shall see. Well, we shall. We shall. And thank you for sharing that. It, it, it jives with so much that we do here. But Alisa, we are so over time. I want to thank you for joining us. If someone wanted to reach out to you and get more of this wisdom or be mentored and mentor, yeah. um, how can they, where do they find you? you definitely Lisa at impact.com. Um, I still is fortunate enough. They saved that uh, email for me. Uh, and, uh, I think that's one way and I'll, I'll definitely share, uh, some additional ways that you can put in the show notes. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Lisa, this has been as all our conversations, uh, entertaining, engaging, enlightening. I learned a whole lot, uh, and really uh, enjoyable. So thank you for joining us. Uh, and I have, I have just a list of other questions that I want to talk to you. So I may reach out in the months to come to see if we could do a we round should. two. Yeah. Thank you again. Yeah, absolutely. Totally game for it. Well, thank you, Lisa, for an entertaining, engaging, and enlightening uh, conversation today. Like all our conversations, thank you so much. You know, a couple for our audience, a couple things I want to pull out that are good to note here is a big difference between a technology platform and a network uh, and what impact is trying to do is to bring more equality to the relationship and that really is in line with what's going on in the industry right now many of you if on the advertiser side you may be seeing affiliates kind of flex their muscle a little more inclusion fees higher rates to, to get involved affiliates are becoming brands themselves and that's one thing Lisa pointed out they are their own brands so that's one of the things that's changing right now in our industry. I mean, we're going to talk more about that with future guests, also a, a video series, but affiliates are becoming brands and the, the technology platform can provide uh, a way to have more uh, equality and, and a firmer footing where everyone's on the same ground in this relationship. And when we talk about partnerships, and that's one thing Lisa really drove home is, is that ability to have equal footing uh, and win-win situations, transparency in the data going back and forth. So we definitely appreciate Impact for doing that. And then that element at the end, where the industry is going, you know, a, a laser focus on the consumer, their path to purchase, their buyer journey, and then how the affiliates fit in with that. It's a huge thing to remember right now, you know, as we talk about uh, where the, the space is going, how to take advantage of it. And Lisa touched on it too, of which affiliate do you need to be working with? A lot of advertisers just want content. They see no value in, in uh, coupon affiliates and 
affinity, loyalty. But if you look at the audience, who is the audience? What's their behavior? How do they view those websites? And you look at that data and you, you determine who you want to work with based on that data. A lot of times we make emotional decisions based on the type of affiliate before we look and see, are they driving consumers that we need? And are we using those affiliates in that consumer journey effectively? So, so many great things uh, here in this conversation. Uh, Lisa, I so appreciate you. I appreciate your uh, input in, into my career uh, and what you're doing now. And like she said, if you guys will include ways to get a hold of Lisa in the show notes. And yeah, so again, if you need help with your affiliate program, you can go to jbcommerce.com. If you don't know exactly what to do next, well, don't sit there by yourself fretting about it. I'm here to help. You can get a hold of me at get help at jebcommerce.com or you can go to calendly.com slash Jamie Birch and set up 15 minutes, half hour with me and I will spend some time with you going over what your main problem is. You can also find our strategy roadmap service at jebcommerce.com slash strategy. And hey, if you want to be a guest, just reach out. You can also reach out at gethelp at jebcommerce.com. I want to thank all our listeners. I've seen some really great uh, comments. Mary Ellen, thank you for showing me the event tie in to the get help. Uh, I love that meme. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing our podcast. And hey, if you're out there, you found value in today's podcast. Can you go please leave us a review in iTunes or the podcast player of your choice and share this with a friend that you think would find this information valuable and in your socials. I want to thank you for listening. Uh, if you have a show idea, let me know. Again, get help at jebcommerce.com. Thanks.